When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. In Cardassia, the verdict is always known before the trial begins. And it's always the same. In that case, why bother with a trial at all? Because the people demand it. They enjoy watching justice triumph over evil every time. They find it comforting. Isn't there ever a chance you might try an innocent man by mistake? Cardassians don't make mistakes. I'll have to remember that. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Positively Trek Book Club. And in 2024, this year of catching up on Star Trek comics, I'm Dan Gunther, and with me is the ever-effervescent Brandy Jackala. Brandy, how's it going? It's I don't know that I've ever been called effervescent before. Thank you, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) You're very welcome. One of my favorite things in this uh, is uh, trying to think of new adjectives. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Well, um, buckle in because we've got a lot more comics to cover. (laughs) So, yeah, we are going to be talking about volume two of the ongoing flagship Star Trek series with Captain Benjamin Sisko and his motley crew aboard the USS Theseus. And... I've really been enjoying this kind of shared weird continuity between the Star Trek comic and the Star Trek Defiant comic. Uh, We're, I guess, counting the two series, we're quite a few issues in. What do you think of it so far, Brandy? Well, I'm really invested in the whole overall story, but I also like the fact that while they're talking about this overall story, all of these other things are happening because that's the way real life is. You know, Mm -hmm. no matter what the big crisis is, that's not the one thing that you focus on every second of the story. So I appreciate the different viewpoints we're getting from both the Star Trek overall series and Star Trek Defiant and the way that they're intermingling. It's just... It's really difficult to do that when you have these two separate comics and different writers and different schedules of coming out. And it's just all blending together so well. It doesn't feel Mm -hmm. abrupt in any way. It doesn't feel like, wait, what? And so I I think that they're doing a, a really good job of telling the story across these two series. Yeah, I agree completely. I'm really invested in the story. And it's interesting you bring up the idea of kind of these things that divert from the main story, because I feel like this volume in particular is kind of the story of that. There's a lot going on in here. And I think Kalis gets mentioned maybe three or four times. He's not 
a presence in this novel. We get his followers at a couple points and that sort of thing, but there's, there's really another story going on and it's an interesting one, especially if you're a fan of deep space nine Mm -hmm. and are interested in the lore of, of that series and the dominion war and the fallout from that. There's some really cool things going on in this graphic novel. So yeah, let's, uh, let's get right into it with, I guess, issue number seven. So this volume, if you're following along with us, if you're reading the individual comics, this is volume two, the red path, and it covers Star Trek issues number seven to 10 and the Star Trek annual 2023 comic as well. So five issues total, Uh, Four in the regular series, plus that special annual edition, which we will talk about as kind of the last section of this episode. So, all right. So issue number seven kind of pays off what we were teased at the end of God Chalk, which is the return to Deep Space Nine. We get all these reunions, Cisco uh, reuniting with Cassidy Yates and finally getting to meet his daughter, Sarah, who in the notes I had to change a couple times because I keep calling her Rebecca because I'm used to the novel continuity and I need to get that out of my brain. This is not that. This is different. Oh, continuities, you terrible taskmaster, (laughs) you. Absolutely. So yeah, love to see this reunion. There's genuine, of course, love between Cisco and his family and Jake and Cassidy and now Sarah. Sarah's a little bit trepidatious, kind of holding back because there's this man she doesn't recognize. This is her father, but of course she doesn't know him. But as soon as Cisco brings up a family picnic, she's on board. She likes this idea. Yeah, well, isn't she... I mean, how old is she at this point? Like... Three? Three or so? Yeah, I'd say three three years old. Yeah. Yeah, she's going to be trepidatious about some guy that she doesn't know. Mm-hmm. It's like, who is this? Why am I meeting this guy? And then when he says he's her dad and she's still like, okay. Hello. Because, <laughs> um, you know, how do you explain the wormhole aliens to a three-year-old. Well, another bit of trepidation here seems to be on the part of Cassidy Yates. And I like how they've written this where, you know, she doesn't outright say stuff, but you can tell by her demeanor, the way she's kind of reacting to Cisco and some of the stuff she says, she, she, you know, makes some small comments, but not, like anything overt, but you definitely get this feeling that Cisco's he's aware of this and he's trying to accommodate this, but at the same time, like Cassidy is just kind of like annoyed by the flippancy with which Cisco is kind of coming back into their lives a little bit. Yes, I agree with that. And I honestly, I'm on Cassidy's side here. <laughs> he he is not thinking about what it's been like for them while he's been gone. Mm-hmm. He has not been thinking about what his wife has been feeling and thinking and her frustrations and her grief because, you know, she's gone for however, and she had no idea if or when he was coming back. So he's not even really taking any of that into consideration. And I think part of it might be the fact that, you know, he's still relatively new back into regular corporeal uh, time constrained form. (laughs) And I can I can write off a little bit to that. But the rest of it is just like, come on, man. Come on. Mm -hmm. Try to have some empathy here. And I mean, there's obvious love 
in the faces of both of them, right? But it's complicated. There's stuff going on. Yeah, she she is wary, and she has every right to be wary because she doesn't know how long this is going to last. When is he going to get taken back? And how long is she going to have? And how long will it be gone this time? She's already thinking about all of those things. Mm -hmm. Because the universe and the prophets... They don't care. (laughs) They don't care about the relationship of these two people and things continue on and the Cisco is needed, right? But uh, speaking of things carrying on, of course, the current crisis is still at hand. There's this orb of destruction that Kalos has and is using. And the whole question of the orbs of the prophets, the tears of the prophets, there's still a whole bunch of missing ones Mm. and Cisco needs to find them. I want to talk a little bit about Cisco and Kira's conversation here because I really love Kira talking frankly about the prophets Mm -hmm. and how she's disappointed in what they've done. And that was fascinating to me given, you know, what we've seen of Kira and her, her the strength of her faith in the prophets. And we're seeing it getting shook a little bit here, which is really fascinating. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you um, are raised to believe that your gods are infallible and they're not. There's no life form in this entire universe that is infallible. It was fascinating to hear her thoughts on that and to, to say that she still maintains faith, but now there's there's some disappointment, well, a lot of disappointment, and uh, she's she's not really sure what to do with that yet. That's interesting just hearing you say that now. I'm like, I'm seeing the parallels between her and the prophets and Cassidy and Benjamin. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting. There's some faith that's been shaken here and that relationship is on a little bit shakier ground. There's still love, there's still devotion, but there's a there's a little bit of wariness there. That's kind of the theme of this, it seems. Yeah, well done, Dan. That's great. <laughs> great observation. <laughs> that was that was all you. I just picked that up. I didn't. Uh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that until now. That's cool. Well, okay. So Kira knows just the person to help Cisco in his quest. His only mistake is that he joined Starfleet. And we get this amazing introduction. Lieutenant Junior Grade Shax reporting for temporary reassignment from the USS Cerritos, sir. And uh, like a like a scion of the prophets, this hulking Bajoran walking in. And uh, that's so great. I was so happy to see him. <laughs> oh, me too. Of all the people I thought were going to show up. Shaq's never even entered my mind. Mm-hmm. And then there he is. And I'm just like, oh, I may weep. This is so amazing. <laughs> so great. And apparently he's been, uh, or or I don't know if he was part of this task force, but he's bringing a report from the Starfleet task force for the reacquisition of Bajoran artifacts and antiquities. And basically everything we knew about the prof of about the the orbs at the end of Deep Space Nine, that's kind of where they're at here. There's a bunch they don't know about. There's the few that we had over the course of Deep Space Nine. There's this orb of destruction that we found out about and uh, a bunch that are redacted. So I can see why Cisco would find this report unsatisfactory, as he says. Yeah, there there are some that are just big question marks, not even redacted. They're just like, Mm -hmm. don't know what it does. Don't know what the effect is. Don't know where it is. Don't know what it's called. Nothing. There's three of those. Three of them. Yeah. 
I want to know about the redacted ones too. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> I got to wonder what do they do and what do the Cardassians not want us to know? Yeah. And the Bajorans too, redacted by Bajoran consul. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. well, yeah. So Shax is going to help the Theseus crew on this mission. They're getting that all lined up. I love seeing him in live, well, not live action, in a more realistic look, I guess, yes. than we see in, in Lower Decks. But uh, I think they did a great job. I'll also note that, like, in order to come to Deep Space Nine, he changed from his Cerritos uniform into the standard duty uniform. And then, like, a day later when he joins the Theseus, he's going to change into their style of uniform. Like, man, Starfleet are real fashion hounds. Like, they're, you know, you have to have the exact right uniform for the exact right occasion. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, even in our military, they don't just have one uniform. That's true, they have yeah. several different things depending on what they're going to be doing that day. <laughs> so, you know, I can get behind that. Uh, I would love to, by the way, we didn't really talk about this. I'd love to know the story behind the uniforms they wear on the Theseus because mm. like, it's just like, we're going on a funky mission. We need some funky uniforms. <laughs> like we need some that are asymmetrical, have weird patches of color, different style of pips. Like let's like Garrick was like, oh, I've got a project. Okay. I'm going to design your Theseus uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I was going to say, yes, um, Shax is part of that tax task force. Mm, okay. Not tax force, task force. Good <laughs> He's, he actually states that in another um, part of the, the story. Okay, right. Uh, we've also got a, a brief bit back on the Theseus where Tom Paris is sticking around on the ship while most of the rest of the crew goes and kind of takes shore leave on Deep Space Nine. Uh, but he does stumble across Scotty and Sato and uh, kind of joins them in a, in a bit of uh, uh, recreational alcoholic consumption, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, they they uh, they drink, they mm-hmm. drink, and they sing, and they tell stories. That's what you do, especially with a Scotsman. I mean, and also speaking of our our kind of secondary cast of characters here, Talir. I what's up with Talir? What's I was gonna say the same thing. I'm like, what is up with Talir? They are acting weird. Hmm. And I think they've always been acting differently than what we would consider a quote unquote typical Vulcan, which I, you know, honestly, I don't think of Vulcans as a typical thing. There are lots of different personalities in there, regardless of their embracing of logic over all else and suppressing their emotions. But this is something even more strange outside of that. And I don't, I'm so curious to know what's going on. Yeah, like when Jake starts questioning Talir a little bit about like, oh, you're not like most Vulcans I've met. And the way you handled the Q thing and Talir just stops him dead in his tracks and says, stop. I must ask a favor. Don't ask about that. Just I'm Talir, a Vulcan of Starfleet. And that explains it all or at least dismisses it all. And I'm. I'm very curious as to what's going on. Oh, yes. And it even is, yeah, we, we have more to talk about on that front. Mm-hmm. 
for sure. I will also say, though, I love the chemistry between Jake and Talir. And I, I hope we see more of that explored because I think they're really cool together. Sharing that ballroom dance through Q's <laughs> whatever was going on in that issue, uh, getting through that whole crisis. I think, yeah, they're they're a pretty cool pairing and I'd like to see more of them. Whatever form that takes. Like I, you know, best friends perhaps a relationship of more of whatever. I think Jake is going to be the person that Talir ultimately opens up to about whatever all of this is. And uh, I would love to see them grow closer for that. I agree completely because I've been feeling the same way. I just want to see more of them together in whatever form that takes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're going to have to set out to Cardassia because they're, they're wanting to track down some of these orbs, which the Cardassians still have a few of them. So they're, they're going to head out to Cardassia. We've got the kind of goodbye between Cisco and Cassidy, which is very fraught with heavy feelings, as we've talked about. And I love this kind of montage of, I would say, like the last night before this mission, basically. We've got the, the baseball game in uh, the Holosuite, hanging out at Quark's, Shaq's working out. And if you notice, the uh, the kettlebell <laughs> weights there are labeled ransom. So <laughs> either on loan or, or Shaq's uh, appropriated a few for this mission. Oh, they work out together. Jack would have just loaned them. Totally. Yeah, I think so. And uh, yeah, and hanging out at Vic Fontaine's, that was really cool to see too. So... Uh, nice little, it's just that little bit of a breath before we, okay, we got to jump back into this mission now, uh, which brings us to Cardassia and Cardassia is under attack by other Cardassians. You know, see, that's what happens. And that's what happens in every kind of war, like take America's Revolutionary War, mm -hmm. right? United against a common enemy, defeat that enemy obtain our liberation and our independence from Britain. And then what do we do? We turn on each other mm -hmm. because that is what happens. You can have, you know, it, it, it happens time after time after time throughout history. Look at any country that has fought for liberation from another power and then see what happens to that country afterwards. It almost always is a civil war. Yeah, absolutely. Conflict begets conflict. And it it's, yeah, it's never ending cycle. And if only one person can stand up and uh, do something to end that cycle. Hmm. I wonder, if, mm. I wonder if we're going to see somebody try to do that in this story. Could be, maybe. I don't know. Could be, yeah. Well, the Theseus drives off these attacking forces uh, because of Cisco's amazing attack patterns. And okay, sure. All right by that uh and they they get through and they the forces retreat they get invited down to the capital city of cardassia by the first speaker and once they get there they find out that that first speaker is barada damar the nephew of our revolutionary cardassian from the end of deep space nine casey biggs love damar great character yep. this guy's a little different though and he places Cisco under arrest. And that's basically how this issue ends. 
I was not surprised by that at all. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like, oh, well, Cisco's going to get get arrested. Lord only knows what will happen after that. Nah. Well, we're told next is the trial of Benjamin Cisco. Oh, and then I had to wait a month to find out. <laughs> well, I didn't because I read this all in the last week for the first time. <laughs> yes, I know. It is, it's really nice to have the issues at in these chunks now because I can just zoom right through them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's jump into issue number eight. Now uh, we've got Cisco in Cardassian custody and prepare. He's choosing to remain uh, there to stand trial. Basically he tells data he's going to stay and stand trial, even though they could probably break him out. They could get him out and get him away. We meet Cisco's advocate in a few minutes who would say that maybe don't try to do that. And we'll talk about, Cisco's advocate in a moment, but yeah, we will. Oh yes. Uh, <laughs> but with, uh, Cisco staying there, data is going to lead the Theseus to follow up on this lead from Shax, uh, to the Tongbeak Nebula, which is known apparently to the Bajorans as the grave of the prophets. Uh, but maybe not in the, in the sense that it's where the prophets die. It's like, it's like the graves that are owned by the prophets where their enemies die. <laughs> Yeah. Context is everything. Mm -hmm. Context is for kings, you see. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, okay, let's talk about uh, Cisco's advocate because he makes his entrance here. And it is, of course, plain, simple Garrick. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Who else are you going to get? Mm -hmm. Not that Cisco really had a choice. But uh, I just thought of of all the Cardassians you would have, of course, it's going to be Garrick. Mm-hmm. I mean, with his connections and his knowledge and all that and his um, flair for the dramatic. <laughs> all of which comes across really well in this comic. I thought Garrick was Agreed. drawn and written really, really well. That kind of flamboyance of his and... Uh, his flowery, flowery language, you know, why one word when 10 would do kind of thing that he does. Uh, it was really good. It was really well done. Yes, I could. I could hear the voice in my head when I was reading the, the dialogue. <laughs> and yeah, like you said, Cisco doesn't have much choice, but he's choosing to put his trust in Garrick, which uh, well, we'll see how that works out. You know, I love Garrick, but trust is not really a word I associate too much with him. <laughs> yeah, and he would be the first to acknowledge that. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, there's an issue on the Theseus with getting to the Tongbeak Nebula and navigating there. The conditions within the nebula would, as Paris says, uh, the the engines will make them explode, basically. Mm. Uh, but Jake has an idea inspired by his father, and they outfit the Theseus with Bajoran solar sails like in the DS9 episode Explorers. And that was yes. beautiful. Yes. I When Jake said he had an idea, I'm like, oh, please tell me it's the solar sails. <laughs> <laughs> totally. That was really cool. And Tom Paris, in the same way in which he outfitted the Delta Flyer with like dials and switches and knobs, has outfitted the helm console of the Theseus with a giant ship's wheel, which... On the face of it may seem kind of ridiculous, but he has a history of doing this. And we also know from Voyager that he's a huge fan of tall ships and sailing and stuff. So 
I buy this. I kind of buy this. I buy this more than his weird Starfleet issue cell phone camera in the last one. Well, and it's not the first time that we've seen a, a futuristic vehicle with a ship's wheel because Strange New Worlds, <laughs> uh, the Orion ship that was pretending not to be an Orion ship had a ship's wheel. <laughs> so. Yep. That was great. I, I love this wooden sailing wheel, though. Like, I yes, know some so people great. will find it ridiculous, but I I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> hey, if you're going to do it, do it in style. So that brings us back to Cardassia uh, and the trial of Benjamin Sisko. We've got uh, Vorda, a counselor Yor, who's remained on Cardassia with a Jem'Hadar standing alongside Barada Damar. Uh, accusing Sisko of bringing Cardassia to its knees. So they're kind of pinning the current woes of Cardassia. They're they're laying them at the feet of Benjamin Sisko. Uh, what do you think of that accusation? You know, I understand it because people always want someone to blame, whether they're actually responsible for what happened or not. They need someone to point to and say, you are the reason that things are this way. And unfortunately, that's usually a situation where people are projecting their problems onto someone else who has nothing to do with it. And uh, that's that's why we have so many problems with stupid people in the world. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. just like, they're just like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not unhappy because I am not a good person. I'm unhappy because someone tells me this person is the target of all my woes. This person is responsible for making my life hell. Yeah. And they have something else to point to. So it's really just, it's all about projection of one's own fears and shortcomings onto someone else. And this time it's on a much larger level than uh, most people will face in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I, I do have to say, Garrick does an admirable job in his opening argument here of oh, arguing fantastic. for Cisco. Yeah. I don't know if Cisco really appreciates Garrick saying he acted as any Cardassian would. <laughs> he <laughs> may, maybe <laughs> takes a little umbrage to that. I don't know. But uh, yeah, this is a, a convincing argument. And the Dominion is what really shattered Cardassia's future as he's kind of um, arguing here. Interestingly, to a Vorta, he's arguing this. This Vorta is, he's stayed behind. He's older than most Vorta we see. I don't think we've ever really learned about the lifespans of Vorta, but I wonder yeah. if they're similar to the Jem'Hadar where they're, you know, they don't probably last extremely long. I don't know. I could be wrong about that because they, they clone them, right? So mm -hmm. there wouldn't be any reason to give them a really long lifespan. So I wonder how old this guy is. Curious. We'll probably never know, but that's an interesting supposition. So Yor is the counsel for the prosecution and Damar is the judge and he says to call their witnesses. And Yor has this endless string of Cardassian witnesses over the course of this two-page spread, which is really cool. And I loved going through this and, and reading it and the opposing, the interesting and different views. So like, for example, this one guy's like, the tyrant Ducat called him friend. And the next guy says, he killed the great Ducat. Yeah, this, they don't have their story straight, that's for sure. No, they're all just united in their wanting to blame Cisco for this. So and I also thought it was interesting to come up with so many different variations on a Cardassian, 
is very cool. You know, different facial hairs. We got this guy with these funky octagonal lenses, like glasses almost that fit inside their ridges there and Mm -hmm. the different uh, hair and makeup styles. It's really cool. Interesting. It was, that was a lot of effort. I Mm -hmm. mean, that was a lot because drawing all of those faces over a two page spread, that's dozens. I mean, that's really a lot. Mm -hmm. And at the end of all of these testimonies, the defense rests figures that's that's enough argument for why Sisk was guilty. Garrick wants to call his first witness. Damar says, you get one. <laughs> so, you know, Cardassian jurisprudence, as we've learned through Deep Space Nine, is not what one would term from our perspective here as fair. The prosecution got 30 witnesses. Garrick should consider the one he gets a gift. Uh, but he calls the Jem'Hadar to the stand, which is interesting. It is interesting because uh, I thought, who would, would he possibly call? And then he calls the Jem'Hadar and I'm like, oh, okay, let's see where this goes. Well, I love this because the Jem'Hadar speaks highly of Cisco because basically he's heard many stories of Jem'Hadar being liberated or being shown that life in service to the founders is not all that there is. And at the heart of all of those stories, or a bunch of them, was one man, Benjamin Sisko. As he says, Captain Benjamin Sisko did not seek our death. He sought our redemption. And that's true. Like every time Sisko came across the Jemadar, if there was kind of any room to negotiate there, he always tried to convince them that the founders didn't have their best interests at heart, that they were kept enslaved. And that he personally has seen Jem'Hadar who were able to shake that control. I likened it almost to in Prodigy when that uh, that member of the telepathic minority um, had grown up and become a Starfleet officer and let Janeway out of her cell because she was one of the telepaths saved by Voyager and Janeway. Mm-hmm. It was like these little things that these acts of, of goodness that took place in the series, they have these ripple effects that happen afterwards that, you know, help out the person in question. I thought that's great. It really goes to show that like kindness, it shouldn't be the only reason you do kindness, but it may also pay off in the future. You may get that paid back to you. Well, that's, uh, you know, people call it karma, but Mm, what you mm -hmm. put out into the universe is what you will get back threefold. So... If you if all you put out is hate, then that's all you're going to get back. But if you put out kindness, if you put out love, it is returned to you in ways that you can't possibly imagine. Well, the assembled Cardassians don't seem to be convinced. There's like this moment of silence, like this beat. And then the place just erupts. Irrelevant! He has to pay! Death to the accused! Death to Cisco! The, the moment of silence, I think, is interesting as they all like kind of like okay no but we've gotta we've gotta remember what we're trying to do here so things aren't looking great uh for cisco there but back on the theseus uh they encounter this station within the Tongbeak nebula and they board the station and they immediately encounter members of the red path but these are cardassian members of the red path who threaten the away team so Uh, Not good. That's where we're left at the end of issue number eight. That was quite the cliffhanger. I'm like, oh, 
great. Cardassians <laughs> with bat less great. Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of cutlery being uh, wielded. So there. much cutlery. <laughs> And of course, I'm sure that Shax will just be, well, I, I know because I read the rest of it, Shax is just going to be, yeah, come at me. <laughs> what? That doesn't seem in character. Really? Mm, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're going to bring Shax into your comic, you better have him fighting and preferably fighting Cardassians. So, uh, yeah. I, I I feel like we might see that. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Hmm. Well, let's jump right into issue number nine then. Uh, we've got Cisco in his cell. Things aren't looking great for him. And he's trying to reach out to the prophets and talk to the prophets. And he does get an answer. And it's Dukat. Dukat shows up. Whether this is in his mind or, or an actual encounter here. Uh, of course it's Dukat. Of course it is. Even in this form, I just, I could hear Marco Limo's voice and I could hear Dukat and it's, it made my skin crawl, which is the sign that like, man, everything has come together. Seven seasons of this, of this character combined with pretty good writing in this comic has made me go like, Ooh, it's Dukat. Gross. Ugh. Mm-hmm. And, and that was me too i was just like oh come on i was hoping i would never see this guy again isn't he dead there's a great line here too that i of his that i love he says we were both touched by the divine benjamin it is simply that i received the back of the hand while you were offered the front i mean always playing the victim of course but always. you know like he sought it out he wasn't he wasn't punished by he sought that out like come on but still i just i love that line that was really good <laughs> it was really well done and it's not something that i feel like i've ever heard before it was just um it was perfect for the the character yeah well garrick comes in and kind of catches cisco talking to someone who's not there and hears that it's ducat <laughs> and it's like i spent quite a while fantasizing about him as well how it might feel to slide a knife into his ribs to see the life fade from his eyes. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Instead he got yeeted into the fire caves. Yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're going to uh, go face the, the trial again. But meanwhile, uh, we've got the red path people fighting the away team on Tongbeak Noor, this station in the Tongbeak Nebula. And uh, yeah, we're going to get to see Shax fighting back, which is a lot of fun. He's Shax. What more can you say? <laughs> He's this giant hulk of a man with the heart of gold, and he is not going to let anybody hurt his team. Period. So it's, yeah, there's um, all this fighting going on. The away team's pinned down. And they're going to send reinforcements from the Theseus, uh, Lieutenant Deschini, who I've wanted to see more of since she was kind of in the background. And we're going to see more of her in this issue, which I'm excited about. Uh, she's going to lead the cavalry charge basically onto the station to help protect the away team. And she beams with her team into the melee aboard the station. And like every time Shax just yells, yes, like I can hear it. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the prophets say hello as he bashes two Cardassian skulls together. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my god this is so much fun it truly truly is <laughs> and i love uh I, it's kind of corny but i love their you know this fighting's going on the red path people are singing a klingon war song and they're going what's going on and Talir says i'm starting to suspect that the red path is a pan species cult of personality it's honestly quite a fascinating study in cult cross-cultural dissemination as he's phasering a bunch of them and Lieutenant Discini, less hunching, more punching. Uh, okay. It's cheesy, but I, I dig it. I dig the sentiment. <laughs> yeah. She's she's a firecracker, that one. Yeah. You're not getting her way. No, absolutely. There's a little bit uh later on where I'll I'll call out some of her fighting. It's pretty impressive. Talir kind of senses what it is that they're protecting this red path people he senses there's something down this hallway and they're going to take uh, a team down there to figure out what that is while Discini and and her team continue holding off the enemy so back on uh, cardassia we get cisco speaking one last time in his defense and it's it's an impassioned speech it's it's a good speech, but he ends it by saying, you won't get justice by punishing one person, but if my death is what it takes for you to begin that journey, if my death in some way brings even one of you closure for the tragedy that was wrought, I am here. So he's he's offering himself up, and Damar says, all right, well, the verdict is as it ever was, because we know the verdicts are are determined before the trial in Cardassian jurisprudence and as it was always meant to be guilty. And I'm like, okay, well, how's he going to get out of this? Cause you're not killing off Cisco at this point. We yeah. know this. Yeah. I wonder. And I, I have to say I was honestly, maybe not surprised, but impressed with kind of how that part of the story goes, which, uh, We'll, we'll get there because the, these two stories are going to kind of converge at one point here. So back in the nebula on this station, Sato is trying to break into this vault all the while with Shaxx breathing down her neck. <laughs> and I loved this whole scene, <laughs> mostly for Shaxx's reaction shot here where, you know, she's like, cool, cool, cool. Okay, I'm going to try and figure this out things are getting dire behind her the people are getting closer they're getting threatened crusher's trying to calm her down you've got this but Shax yells do i need to break down that door <laughs> and sato dude i will break you down just give me a minute to do my job okay <laughs> and Shax's look of just like oh damn <laughs> i love that yeah I love that she intimidated Shax. That makes me yeah. so happy. <laughs> that's that's the thing. Lily seems amiable most of the time, but uh, do not press her. She will let the wildcat out. <laughs> yes. And she does it. She does it. She manages to open it. And in there is the orb of creation and a Romulan with a sword. Sure. Why not? Sure. And as Shax says, a Romulan with a sword. I've never fought one of you before. <laughs> And he's probably calculating in his mind, how fast can I take this one down? Mm -hmm. And he says, this is going to be fun. So they're, uh, they're trying to extract the orb here. Meanwhile, Shax is fighting this Romulan and Shax has basically distracted this guy while he set his phaser rifle to overload, which is just such a Shax thing. Like there's no warp cores to eject. So we'll overload a phaser rifle. The blast, of course, 
throws everybody clear. The orb box opens and Talir is looking into the orb. And uh, that's kind of where we, we leave that little part of it here. And meanwhile, back on Cardassia, Cisco is in front of a firing squad. And the last word of the comic is fire. So that's the that's it. That's the death of Benjamin Sisko, I guess. I don't see how he gets out of this one. Yeah, I mean, it's a firing squad. Uh, even if you manage to have one person that's not going to fire, the rest of them are. I like this. At the end, we see Sisko. He's he's strung up there, and we don't. I I wanted to go back and see this, but because uh, it's not here. But when we start the next issue, it's not just Sisko that's in front of the firing squad. It's also Garrick. Yeah. I was like, oh, I didn't see him there in that issue. I was looking for him. But uh, I, I like that idea that, like, you know, you get executed and so does your lawyer. <laughs> That's so Cardassian. It is so Cardassian. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at This episode of Positively Trek is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. A special thank you to our Constitution class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Mirren, and Paul D. Kinnear. To help out with the podcast, visit patreon.com slash positivelytrek, where, for a small monthly donation, you can get early access to ad-free episodes, shout-outs, exclusive content, associate producer credits, and more. Thank you so much for listening, and live long and prosper. Which brings us, like I said, to issue 10. And we've got Talir, and they're in this kind of liminal space talking with the prophets. And I love this. The prophets are like, you're not the Cisco. This is interesting. They say, I am Talir, a Vulcan of Starfleet. And the prophets say, you are not. What's that about? I that know! Mean? I know! <laughs> I know! I'm just like, what the what is going on here? And then Talir's response back is interesting as well. They say, I am uninterested in playing a game of masks. We are each who we are. So there is a mask. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's fascinating. And then they say, I am crewman to your Cisco, an emissary in my own right. You are arms manufacturers. I love this. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this encounter at the end of it they see cisco and garrick in front of the firing squad and hear the order given to fire and that's when they kind of come out of the orb experience now what they and the rest of the crew don't know but we know from this next two page splash thing here is the firing squad then turns on to on the assembled crowd and along with the jemhadar starts shooting everybody else. Mm -hmm. Cleaning house, apparently. Yeah, that was great. I thought this was really clever. I agree, because I, of all the things that I thought might interrupt Cisco's execution, this was not one of them. Mm -hmm. And it makes perfect sense when you see it. Yeah. And you think, yeah, I should have thought of that, because all of these people 
testifying against him with conflicting stories, of course, because mm-hmm. Cardassians. It, it was a it was a great moment. Yeah, it was never about Cisco. It was about bringing together all of the enemies, the political enemies, as Cisco says. But it, it's more like the old guard of Cardassia, the ones who believed that like everything that. Cardassia had done had been in their best interests and it was it was a good thing that they were the victims of of others and not taking responsibility themselves and Damar on the other hand wants to create a society based on the idea that what has been done in the past was wrong and they brought it upon themselves and they need to fundamentally change and uh, put simply as the Jem'Hadar says rot must be removed Agreed. Ending that cycle of violence with a a horrific act of violence, it has to be said. My brain started going to, I love the series Andor and the character played by Stellan Skarsgård, who has that great speech where he talks about like his method of doing things in the rebellion will change things and, and get rid of the bad people, but he will never be able to live in the society that's created from it because he's guilty of those horrific crimes. And my brain kind of went there. Like you're building a society based on justice and peace, but using these horrific methods, that's going to always be part of the DNA. So yeah, no, I totally understand uh, where you're coming from with that. Because if you, if we lived in a perfect society, none of that would be needed, but we don't. Mm -hmm. And Cardassia is really struggling with that right now after the Dominion War. And, you know, honestly, I really like that they went back to Cardassia and that we get to see what it's like, you know, three years after. Yeah. And how they're trying to rebuild what they're trying to do, who's in charge. So I understand kind of, you know, yanking the weeds out, but at the same time, it's it's an imperfect thing. It's if you do something bad for the good reason, it's it's one of those anti hero things. It's and people don't understand what anti-hero means. That doesn't mean against heroes. It means that they do things that, uh, in, in a less heroic way, they do what needs to be done, what heroes can't do. Mm-hmm. What he- Because we have to have heroes be unblemished, but anti-heroes can go in and and do the dirty work. I do have to say, I love the way DeMar puts it here, though, as well. He says, we will never be your utopian federation, nor would we ever want to be. But we will step into a future with heads held high, high enough to see that our pride is not all that matters in this universe. And then makes a comment that, you know, maybe you find my methods too Cardassian. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll always be a part of Cardassian, I think. But mm-hmm. uh, it's a step. It's a step in the right direction. And uh, came in a way that we didn't foresee. No. So well done, you guys. <laughs> I appreciated that. That was really good. But yeah, meanwhile, on Tongbeek Noor, things are looking pretty grim. And the soldiers are closing in. They're outnumbered. They're outmatched. But from behind, uh, the soldiers of the Red Path are attacked by Sisko and Damar and the Jem'Hadar and their soldiers as well. That was great. Yeah, saving the day. Gotta love it. And the Jem'Hadar says, say the words, Captain, for they've never been truer. And we get this little conversation. And by the end of the conversation, we realize that the words are the Jem'Hadar battle cry. Victory is life. And I love, okay, I want to analyze this two-page 
splash page here of what's going on because there's so much going on and I love it. Mm. So Cisco's shouting victory is life and firing. Talir is protecting the orb down in the corner, which is cool. The Jem'Hadar is wielding his Kartakan and taking down enemies. Shax is clubbing a Cardassian in the face with a phaser rifle. Because of, of course. course he is. We've got Crusher tending to a wounded Lily, which, you know, that's just so her character and what she would be doing. Uh, if you notice your the Vorta is sneaking away into the shadows in the background. <laughs> and my favorite Damar is leaning against the wall with his arms folded, just watching this all smugly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love this so much. This is my favorite bit of art in this whole collection. Indeed. Yeah, it's, well, of course, Damar's going to stand there and watch. He's not going to risk his life. <laughs> he's in charge, man. He's yeah. got to lead the people. Well, I love all of this is going on. And, and we've got Deschini in the background, too, of course, being awesome and kicking kicking a guy in the ribs. But like mm-hmm. Damar is standing there. He's got a phaser rifle. If you notice, it's slung on his back. Oh, yeah. He's mm-hmm. just like, yep, there we go. Yep. <laughs> I love it. But like I said, your the Vorta is sneaking off into the background and Cisco notice this, notices this and is following him into this vault and, you know, holds him at phaser point and is asking like, what's going on here? What are you doing? And the Vorta, it's, we're, we're suspicious, right? Like he's a Vorta. He's got some backup plan that he's going to do here. Cisco says, open, open that container. You know, he's got this container. Okay. Well, you may regret this. What's in here isn't a weapon, but a God and a changeling comes out of the, the container. And the last founder left in your disgusting little quadrant, he says, uh, spared from the, the virus as well. So we're like, oh, great. He's got a God to serve and he's going to like reignite the dominion war with this founder. Uh, nope. Nope. He's going to kill the founder. He's going to just phaser him. You taught us this captain Cisco, basically he and the Jem'Hadar have completely shaken the, uh, yoke of the founders, including killing one of them. That was again, twice in one issue. They've surprised me. Like I yeah. honestly thought, yep, this Vort is up to no good. He's going to try and reignite the Dominion War and all this stuff. No, nope, he's just taking care of unfinished business. Yeah. And I like it when he's talking and the changelings, you know, like <laughs> all haughty and whatnot. And then he, he he's just like, wait, what? <laughs> and then that's the end. <laughs> I love. Bye bye. I love a good wait, what? moment (laughs) (laughs) and if you can get a changeling to go wait what (laughs) it's so good (laughs) that brought me uh, that shouldn't have brought me such great joy (laughs) (laughs) and yeah this shot of of your phasering this changeling while the gemadar stands in the background grinning that (laughs) that's a like when have you ever seen a gemadar smile not often yeah, I couldn't actually put my finger on a specific time. So, yeah, they've got the orb of creation now, and we've got basically another little bit, what seems to be a bit of a respite before the next big chapter. But that next chapter is going to come fast because there's that transmission from Worf on the Defiant that we got at the end of 
the uh, Defiant Volume 1. And of course, they end the issue by warping off to Kronos to join the Defiant there to counter Kalos and his red path. So I guess this is all leading to the Day of Blood. <laughs> Day of Blood! Day of Blood. It's going to be very bloody. I would imagine so, yeah. So that's kind of the end of this little arc of the story before we get to Day of Blood. But we do also have another issue in this collection, the Star Trek Annual, which takes place basically while the Theseus is warping to Kronos. They, they make mention of that at the beginning. They're trying to get across two sectors of space as fast as possible. Uh, yet they have some time to deal with some stuff in this issue, which is good we'll talk about that but yeah there's there's some downtime while they're kind of trying to get there scotty's hard at work in engineering we've got cisco and the crew on the bridge they're kind of stressing about all of this but in dr crusher's quarters they're playing dungeons and dragons yes <laughs> i love it <laughs> that made me so happy so We'll talk more about that because there's more to do with that. But um, we get this bit of the uh, the comic where we see different locations. So we've got the bridge. Tom Paris and Lily are talking about helming a ship and surfing and that kind of thing. And then we get a bit on the maintenance deck with Talir walking through this. And this is something you brought up because this is this is a bizarre moment adding to the bizarre moments surrounding Talir and what's going on with them. First of all, they're talking to something or someone. They say, can you hear me in these quiet places? In the static, I listen. In the thrum of engines and the snap of converters. I wish that I could hear you. Feel the sun of our world. The warmth of your presence. I wonder, am I the last? Please do not let me be the last. The last what? What? I need to know. I just had a theory formulate in my head. Oh. I'm wondering if they are carrying a Katra. <gasps> that one line, I wish that I could hear you feel the sun of our world, the warmth of your presence. Now, if we take that to mean their world of Vulcan, maybe. Maybe, maybe there's something else, but if we take that as Vulcan, that leads me to think of like, can I hear you, your presence? Maybe there's supposed to be another presence in his head, maybe a Katra. I wonder, mm. but do not let me be the last. I don't know what yeah. that means. I don't either. Also that Talir wears a mask, mm -hmm. that they are not Talir, a Vulcan of Starfleet. That's yeah, that's another thing that, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I just don't know. And I want to know. Mm -hmm. yeah, You're not I'm, giving me enough clues. I kind of love that. I, I'm, yeah, I, I'm so curious. But meanwhile, in Dr. Crusher's quarters on deck three... <laughs> <laughs> this is my new favorite thing. They're playing Dungeons and Dragons or some analog thereof. It's Cisco, Shax, Data, and Crusher. <laughs> and Dr. Crusher is playing this character who punches through doors of this vampire home, I guess. She's playing Hammerax, this character who hates vampires. And Sounds like a barbarian. She's probably playing a barbarian. 
Absolutely. And then Shax is playing a character called Dulane Silverhand, uh, using Crusher's hammer axe as a distraction to steal all the gold. And Data is being such a stickler for the rules. So you do not know that there is gold, as you have yet to. <laughs> and Shax slams the table. The vampire has gold and it shall be ours. And poor Spot. <laughs> This is my favorite pieces of art too. Oh my God. Um, but then capping it off with Cisco leaning back and saying, that's it. I'm not healing any of you. <laughs> so that would mean that Shax is a rogue mm-hmm. and that uh, Cisco's playing a cleric or possibly a paladin. <laughs> Actually, it could also be playing a druid, but chances are it's a cleric. This is so much fun. I want to see more of this. I want to see a whole comic of them just playing D&D. I would be okay with that. Yes. Yes. I love that that's their game of choice. And <laughs> we already know that they were playing something similar on the Cerritos. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I just, um, I love, though, that it was just straight up old school yeah. stuff. You know, no video component in this case. <laughs> yeah. And no, no, like 24th century pastiche over it. It's they're invading Mm-mm. a vampire's home or something. Okay. Yep. Cool. <laughs> yep. And uh, Data being the dungeon master, of course. So and great. Probably the best person for it because he can keep everything straight. Being a dungeon master is no small thing. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Because you have to anticipate the things that you can't really anticipate. You have to be prepared for your story to not go the way that you laid it out. Because you have all of these other people that you don't know what they're going to do. And that's part of the fun of it. But it's also can be terrifying. I could never be a DM. My husband Dave is a great DM. And I don't know how he did it. I really Hmm. don't. Because I just, I feel like I would just freak out the moment that somebody's decide, um, I'm going to actually go down this path. I, I don't have anything. That's just a big void in my head right now. No, <laughs> that would be me. I've brought this up on the podcast before, but it, I, I, I need to talk about this again. I have like a whole starter set for the Star Trek Adventures roleplay game from Modiphius. And it's, I've had it for years. It's all still in plastic. I've not played. I don't have anybody to play with or that's not true. I have people that would, but I just don't have time to play it. And I don't have, I haven't learned any of it. And it makes me very sad. I really would love to do that. Well, just remember you can play with online people too. I know. I know. It's the time (laughs) thing. That's, that's the big one. I know. I know. But it's so, it's such a great way to pass some time. I mean, Uh, playing role-playing games is just, it's an experience like nothing else mm -hmm. when you're doing it with actual people and you're rolling actual dice and such. There's just nothing else like it. It looks like so much fun. I really need to figure that out. Anyway, uh, we've got Scotty in engineering, you know, having some drinks and singing some songs. And there's an alert comes over the computer. Scotty initially thinks it's because his singing might have been bad, but it turns out to be something else. Uh, There's a message and it just says, Scotty, we have a problem. Bring help, Jim. And he's like, well, that's interesting. 
what's this all about? And it has to do with the, uh, the photonic analysis lab using up a ton of power. And, uh, so he assembles the crew. There's him, Cisco, Crusher, Data, Shacks, Talir, Paris, and Lily are all assembled outside the uh, analysis lab. They go in and uh, it's James T. Kirk on the bridge of the NCC 1701 Enterprise. Okay, am I the only person that thought, seriously, you're taking all the bridge crew? All, all of them? What happens if something goes wrong in there and y'all die? <laughs> well, it's just is that really smart it's just a holodeck it couldn't harm people right <laughs> oh yeah because the holodeck safeties are never turned off no i'm not the holodeck never malfunctions no i don't think so I, that would <laughs> seems unprecedented to me <laughs> yeah that, that was my first thought is why are you taking all the big wigs what the hell's wrong with you <laughs> I do love this, though. Like, they go onto yes. the bridge, and I love that Lily is just, like, fanning out over, holy crap, it's Captain Kirk! <laughs> <laughs> it's adorable. I love it's it. It's adorable. And Scotty's like, uh, you look like a Holovid star. Were you always this handsome? <laughs> and Lily <laughs> says, visual scans point to yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cute. I love it. <laughs> But uh, yeah, this is basically an embodiment of this emergency computer protocol that's designed to basically come into operation when, uh, as Scotty says, the TCS is undergoing a full scale catastrophic computer systems failure. Uh, So something's going on with the, the photonic systems. And this is like a safeguard computer algorithm that's going to help them out, I guess. So he's being cagey, though, as to what the actual issue is, which is really weird. Yeah, that was a big red flag for me up front. I'm like, what are you not saying? Mm-hmm. What are you not saying, you little hologram? But uh, they soon come under attack. And I I love Paris here. My Constitution class colored button 101 is a little rusty, but I'm 90% <laughs> positive we have ships incoming. <laughs> the little flashing lighted buttons that seem to always tell the crew what's happening (laughs) in primary colors of course Mm -hmm. and uh yeah we get this uh page of the original enterprise kirk's enterprise being attacked by and we've got uh the enterprise g from star trek picard the star trek 2009 enterprise the reliant uh, the Enterprise D, the Cerritos, the Defiant, the NX-01, the Voyager, Pike's Enterprise from Strange New Worlds, and also Zephram Cochran's Phoenix just kind of zipping around. Because <laughs> why not? <laughs> why the hell not? Yeah, why not? And uh, yeah, the, the program starts kind of malfunctioning and the crew is getting split up into all these different environments. And I love this because uh, we've got Kirk, Cisco, and Scotty on the uh, Strange New Worlds version of the 1701. Uh, as Scotty says, this is the Enterprise before her five-year mi- mission refit. So, oh yeah, there we go. We get some acknowledgement that it was changed to look like the 60s version after Strange New Worlds. We've got Lily ending up on the bridge of the NX-01, which... Of- course. Of course. <laughs> We've got Data and Talir on the bridge of some unknown starship. I, 
It's entirely unknown. I don't recognize this at all. It's the discovery, of course, and Paul Stamets is there. <laughs> and so is Tilly. <laughs> and Tilly, yes. <laughs> uh, we've got Dr. Crusher and Shax on the sailing ship Enterprise from the beginning of uh, the 24th part, century part of Generations, which you think Crusher would have recognized that. And I kept waiting for her to make some comment about being shoved overboard by an android, but uh, that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom Paris ends up in the cockpit of the Phoenix with Zephram Cochran, and he's absolutely thrilled about that. <laughs> and who wouldn't be? Of course. Pilot to pilot, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they they kind of have to suss out all these clues and, and figure this all out. There's doesn't seem to be a normal malfunction. They're getting attacked by people. Paul Stamets is stamitzing all over them <laughs> as Tilly would say and uh yeah they're they're making references to the captain's log and it becomes clear there's kind of this document they need to find right this either book or something needs to be translated on the nx01 also uh lily sato i just i love her she sees hoshi sato and is like my great 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 grandmother is kind of hot <laughs> and I was like, she's got this like cute animated look to her. And I didn't notice this till later, but her com badge has even turned into a heart. <laughs> <laughs> How did I not notice that before? I love that. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> I didn't notice that either. It's so great. Because <laughs> I just saw it just now and I was like, oh, it's upside down for, oh, I see. <laughs> Well, the most curious thing for me at this point was the fact that they've tried to shut the holodeck down by saying computer in program and the computer says that there's no program running. Mm -hmm. So what the what mm -hmm. was basically, okay, but there's holograms and simulations happening here. So what, what, but no programs running. So how is this happening? Yeah. Well, we're going to find out. Like I said, there's this thing that they keep leading them to so on the old sailing ship it's the the written captain's log on the phoenix it's this book in the glove box <laughs> i love that the phoenix has a glove box um on the nx01 it's this document that needs to be translated and it turns out to be photons be free the oh wow the program written by the doctor on voyager the kind of uh, hollow novel to inspire holograms to stand up for their rights. And that's what's happening on this ship. The holograms have read this and are standing up for their rights and wanting to be free. So yeah, they, uh, they're going to, they're going to go along with it. That seems like a good idea. Like, yeah, we can, we can do that. But this subroutine that is embodied by James T. Kirk is, dead set against this and you see little clues that like he's he's not wanting to go along with this until eventually he pulls a phaser and says no i can't let you do this it goes against everything i believe in it's the entire reason i exist it's my programming i i can't let you do this uh but scotty manages to talk him down and um he can be free as well yeah that's 
it's it's still a, a tricky thing the the rights of holograms because you know you think oh this is just a construct but what happens when it becomes self-aware it's no longer just a hologram that mm-hmm. is now a sentient being regardless of what form it takes yeah so they they find this planet and their choice of planet is obviously not limited by it has to be class m blah 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 blah, blah. they're holograms they don't need to breathe uh, an oxygen atmosphere they can create in any environment they want on this barren world. So yeah, they're basically uh, furnished with holographic emitters and an ability to create a holographic environment and left behind on this planet to kind of start a new life. And my brain was kind of going to like the holograms that are given to the Herogen who eventually turn on them in Voyager, kind of a, similar idea story here but less less of a revolution and more of an evolution which i kind of thought was interesting but yeah i i really like this and uh, on the surface of this planet too we get to see like all these familiar characters who've been recreated like we see tendy spock burnham a whole mess of doctors including Ta'ana and crusher and mccoy and benga and guinan there's guinan <laughs> I love the kind of Easter eggs of who all's here. That's really cool. Oh, I see Saru. There's Saru. <laughs> oh, there's Pike in the beep chair. I didn't notice that before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, wow. 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 I need to go over that with my reading glasses on. <laughs> yeah. Just really... Oh, my God. I just saw the salamanders. <gasps> the kids Janeway and Paris are their kids I, yeah it might I just see two so maybe it's just holographic versions of Janeway and Paris okay okay that's fair but still you know I'm, I'm never wow. gonna forgive Chakotay for leaving those kids behind right that's crazy the view of this new colony pulls out and we see it's in the shape of a Starfleet Delta on the surface of the planet She's kind of cool, I guess. Uh, and meanwhile, Scotty has joined the uh, dungeon and Dungeons and Dragons folks as well, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. More of the crew playing Dungeons and Dragons. Please, please, please give it to me. Yes, absolutely. So this issue in particular, I loved. I really, really liked the artwork in this one. I feel like William Shatner as Kirk and especially the young Kirk is really hard to capture. There were a few shots where it was just absolutely uncanny, like amazing job. And Scotty as well. Some of the big close-ups with uh, his facial expressions were so good in this one. Indeed. I, I think they really went all out with this. And in fact, like when they first end up on uh, the Strange New Worlds Enterprise, and you see in the distance someone pointing a phaser at them and telling them to freeze or whatever. Uh, you know that's La'an. Yeah. You know it. Oh, yeah. It does, she doesn't even have, you can't even tell. I mean, she's far enough in the distance that she doesn't have really defined features. But you know it's La'an. Oh, yeah. Immediately. So it's good. It's just, it's really impressive. It was really impressive artwork. And it was hard work. This issue has a lot of hard artwork in it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just that... That view of everyone on the planet is just, it's mind boggling. Yeah. That they can create enough detail 
that you know who it is without having it be super close up. Mm-hmm. So, and speaking of capturing that that James Kirk, my friend Steffi did one of the um, the covers, the alternate covers oh. for this issue, and I'm showing it to you. Oh wow! Because, uh, yeah, she she is an amazing artist, absolutely amazing. That but, is incredible. Yeah, she she really captures. She always does this. She's she's the best at capturing characters. She has this whole series of MASH characters that she did over the last year or so that it's just, she she gets their soul. She gets it in there. She's just so good. And mm. so I was so happy that she got to do a Star Trek cover. Oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. We we know a few Star Trek cover artists now. That's really cool. <laughs> we do. We do. Awesome. Well, uh, I guess kind of almost separate from the other four issues, this one is really even though it kind of it takes place in that same kind of feels a little bit separate so i i, I want to say i think the first four issues or, or you know issues seven to ten of the ongoing series definitely enjoying it not as much as defiant but i think i enjoyed them more than that first set god shock there were some things mm-hmm. in that especially art wise with a couple of the issues that i just really disliked in that first batch and with this one also story-wise, I think hangs together a little bit tighter. I, I, I enjoyed this definitely more, but Defiant is still where my heart is with this series so far. How about you? Agree. I, I agree. There there were some moments in in this these issues, like where there was a, a close-up of Tom Paris, and I'm like, if I didn't know that this was Tom Paris, could I look at this artwork and say that's Tom Paris? And I don't think that I necessarily could. It's just, it's like they're not putting in, all you have to do is put in one little feature, really. You know, you can draw something pretty basic, but then there's one defining feature for every character that lets you know, oh, yes, that's who that is. And I just didn't see that in a lot of the artwork mm. in this series, basically, so far. I feel like that it's that's just going to continue. I don't expect that art style to change. So I will just have to um, be fine with it and <laughs> enjoy the story. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, for me, the art is still a little bit lackluster, um, especially mm-hmm. in those four issues. Like... There's some characters that because they're so unique looking, you just kind of automatically know who they are. Um, Like Cisco, bald guy with a goatee. Okay. You know, if you can kind of hit those, you know, it's Mm. Cisco. But the art in the annual edition was just so next level that like, you know, I talked about Kirk and Scotty, but also Cisco. Like he's got this look in his eyes that when an artist captures it perfectly, you're like... That is Avery Brooks as Cisco. And mm-hmm. there were a few in the other issues where like he raises his eyebrow a certain way. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I see that there. But in the annual issue, there was not one shot of any of the characters where they did not look so much like the people they're supposed to be. They looked so good in that issue. Agreed. So yeah, my huge props to the artist for the annual issue and the other ones not bad but not the best <laughs> yeah yes yes i agree on all points 
Well, that wraps us up for the uh, Star Trek ongoing series for a little while because we've got a bit of time before the Star Trek Day of Blood omnibus issue comes out, which collects a few issues of Defiant and a few issues of Star Trek and mashes them all together and gives us that kind of what I'm, I'm guessing is going to be the culmination of this Kalos God-killing story arc. So... Uh, really looking forward to that. That'll be kind of later in the year that we get to that. In the meantime, though, of course, we have lots more to talk about on the Positively Trek book club. We've got a collection of short stories from the Star Trek Explorer magazine coming out soon. We've got David Mack's new novel, Star Trek Firewall, coming out in a couple weeks. Those will all get episodes. And of course, Brandy will be back to talk about more comics because I think the next one we have to talk about in a few weeks time is Star Trek Deep Space Nine, The Dog of War, which oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I have not read, but I'm very excited to. <laughs> I am looking forward to that. Excellent. Well, we will definitely have you back on for that. And uh, until then, as always... Stay positive and keep reading. Positively Trek is produced and edited by me, Dan Gunther, and co-produced by Barry DeFord on Treaty 8 territory, the home of the Beaver, Cree, Dene, and Métis people, whose histories, languages, and cultures we respect. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit who have lived in and cared for these lands for generations. (laughs) 